when I was younger. Yeah. I did. I bought into it as a very early on self-identified feminist. And this is what I thought a feminist was, was somebody that spoke their mind that didn't dress a certain way because I wanted to be taken seriously. I wanted to be known for my mind and my opinions, not what my body looked like. Mm-hmm. I knew I was going to be sexualized by men. So it was like, how dare you look at my, I will not let you look at my body. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I wasn't going to have kids. I wasn't going to have, a, you know what I mean? I was going to change And I mean, at that time, I didn't know what I wanted. I was too young, but I already had made this decision that I was going to be more like a man in order Mm -hmm. to play in a man's world where now as a 40 year old woman, I'm like, that's ridiculous. It is. No, it it isn't. It doesn't have to be a man's world anymore. The world can adapt to women in power. We don't have to change or be or look or talk a certain way in order to be taken seriously, we can be taken seriously just as we are and the world should change for us. And in your experience, how are, one of my fears is how I will be treated by men. Mm-hmm. Um, once, say I was to, to get nominated in, uh, how, are, how do you see women being treated right now? I'll level with you, it's, it's not as good as it should be. It's not. Our society is trained. I am Amanda Hansen, and welcome to the Women Disrupted podcast. I like to use the word disruption to describe a change that displaces or replaces the status quo. In this podcast, I hope you'll be able to disrupt your thoughts, beliefs, and maybe even your life. I believe that disruption is good, even when it is hard. I will share tidbits of how myself and others have handled disruption, whether we have chosen it or the universe chose it for us. There will be debates on hot topics and stories of women who choose disruption to change their lives and the lives of others. Are you ready for a little disruption? Enjoy the ride. Hello, everyone. In today's episode, I actually recorded this a while ago. It was shortly after a local election in my town or province, and it was well before the American election. I'm not American. I am Canadian. So even though the election um, was not for, you know, my leader of my country, it still greatly impacts the country I live in. Um, I also have some very, very deep views about Trump (laughs) that I won't get into right now. Um, But, you know, today I'm bringing on a guest to talk about politics because, yeah, I'm political. And the reason why I'm political is because politics affect our lives. Like, we can't not be political. (laughs) You can say that you're not political, but I don't, I guess I'm going to say, I don't know if I believe you because it's like, how can you not partake or have an opinion on something that impacts our everyday our everyday lives? Um, so it's not something I hide from. It's something that I'm outspoken about because I believe politics and the decisions that our leaders make and the makeup of our government and our how our country is run greatly impacts our lives and it greatly impacts the minority. I am a white cisgendered 
heterosexual woman. I am pretty much at the top of the food chain. I am next to the white man. I have a ton of privilege in my life. I live in a privileged place, um, but I live in privilege because I, I live in a system that has been created to provide me with this privilege. And, you know, with Black Lives Matter coming out, it has woken up or it has opened up my eyes to the systems that we have in our world and how they are ingrained in racism and sexism and misogyny. And I want to change that. So yeah, I'm political. (laughs) Um, But the thing is, I actually don't know a whole lot about politics other than I know like my own views and beliefs. So I'm bringing on an expert. (laughs) I'm bringing on um, uh, Brianna who reached out to me or I reached out to her. I can't remember how it happened through Instagram, but we got chatting. I was talking about politics. We just started chatting and I was like, I'd love for you to come on the podcast and talk to you guys about politics and help me better understand it. Um, So she agreed to come on today and she has been in Canadian politics since she was 19. She's the chair of a code of conduct committee for the political party and she gives us massive insight to the inner workings of provincial politics and what it's really like to be a woman in politics. Her goal is to provide a safe environment for everyone to participate in politics equally. But just as a disclaimer, we are trying to give um, a nonpartisan view um, on this podcast for the sake of discussion so we don't actually get into any of the political parties or their views. It's more from like the view of like if i was to run what would that look like as you know being a woman how are women treated um why more women need to step up and become a leader in their community and so we're more talking about that we're not really digging into you know the different parties and the different views and we're not getting into any of that on this podcast though someday i do want to dig in deeper to that this is more of understanding the the political environment and what it could be like and why we as women should stand up and run in our communities if we feel called to so i hope you this was a really long intro but i hope you enjoy today's episode Hello, everyone. Today, I have Brianna Faulkner on the podcast. And how this came about was recently, so I live in New Brunswick, and we just had a recent election, uh, a provincial election. And was it provincial? Yes. Okay, so this, see this? This is like, has been a learning curve for me. And what exactly is provincial versus federal? I know, it's federal when we're voting for our prime minister, right? Yes, you got it. Thank you. Okay. And I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. Politics, especially in Canada, I find really confusing. It is. Anyway, so how this came about was I briefly one day on my Instagram stories mentioned about the election and how I love that there in this latest election, there were some women who've been stepping up and they have really different ideas. And I love that because I'm a little bit... I don't think I'm an anarchist, but I think I have like anarchist tendencies. (laughs) Go with it. Own it. I'm a little bit of a rebel and I'm, I kind of like, you know what, like if something's not working, like what is wrong with just tearing it down and starting from scratch where I know my (laughs) husband is more like Amanda, like shit doesn't work that way. (laughs) We can't (laughs) tear stuff down. Like 
it's a, I know it's a complicated structure we have, you know, with our economy and, and I know we can't just like shut shit down and start from scratch. I, I understand this rationally, but sometimes I get really excited when people are coming into politics and have very different ideas than what our norms are. Like that just excites me because I love new ideas. I love new way of thinking of things. And I think we do need that. We do right. need different ideas. It's almost like, that's why I love entrepreneurs because we, we generally think differently. We solve problems differently. And I think we need that infused into our, our government. So anyway, I started talking about this and Brie reached out to me because I was like, you know, part of me has always wanted to run for politics um, just because like, I don't mind speaking my opinion. And when I think something's right, I will fight for it. And she's, and I was like, but I think I would be kind of bad at it because I'd probably just yell a lot because when I'm passionate and when I really believe in something, I get really intense and it seems really aggressive <laughs> sort of sometimes. And I also am like, I just, I also don't know if I could handle um, how people are treated um, and how they're talked about. And so anyways, mm -hmm. Brie reached out to me and she's like, you should just do it. <laughs> just do it. You're exactly what we need. And so her and I got talking about women in politics and she works, she's a woman and she works in politics. So I was like, you need to come to my podcast. We need to talk about this. And so how I want to start off with is just saying just a little bit of information. I, I did some research on Wikipedia. Canada um, is ranked 50th in the world for women in politics. And generally where it stands right now, um, women hold about 23% of the seats federal and provincially in the legislature, um, which, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that would be really exciting. Now in 2020, I'm like, oh, that is nowhere near as high as it should be. Right. And so I really want to dig down as to why women are still underrepresented, why we're not stepping up. Like, what is it that's holding us back? Like, do we have some limiting beliefs? Do we have some ideas of what it could be like? Is society structured in a way that isn't making it? more appealing to women or able to do it. Like there's so many reasons that I kind of want to dig into um, as to how can we get more women in politics and how can we educate them to feel maybe a little bit more safe? Because my guess, generally what holds people back is fear. And I know that's what holds me back. It's fear that's mm -hmm. holding me back. It's fear of how I'm going to be treated by men, the majority of men, because it tends to be a man's world. At least that's my perception. <laughs> I don't know if that's right. That's my perception that it's still a man's world. Um, the misogyny, the sexism, am I going to, and how I'm going to be attacked and how women generally are attacked in a leadership role versus how men are attacked can look differently. Fair. And being able to have that boundary. Anyways, I meant to introduce you. <laughs> Sorry, this is what happens. Tell everybody who you are. And her and I both agreed we're doing this in a non-partisan way. So um, we're not talking about very specific parties. We're talking about this in a more general way. So Brie, tell everybody what you do. How do you work in politics? So I, I do a lot of different things in politics. So there's so many different ways that you can 
can get involved. Um, so I started in politics, uh, I was probably 19 or 20 years old. And I just, I joined a party uh, because there was a really good conference. I was working on a degree in political science at the time, and I thought there was a really good educational opportunity at this conference that this party was hosting. And when, when I attended that, I found like all these like-minded people that I could talk about things with and debate issues with, and it, like I found my home there, right? Because sometimes, sometimes you have a voice and sometimes you don't know the right venue to use it. And find, finding that was really empowering for me. So, so on a volunteer basis, I work with a political party. I, um, I'm chair of a code of conduct committee in a party. So making sure that, uh, that we have a safe and survivable environment for everybody to participate in politics is really important to me. Um, beyond that, I also, I, my actual job is in a politician's office, which uh, I, I started about a year and a half ago, and we're, we're working basically to connect people with their government services. So people will come and say, you know, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I can't pay my power bill this month. How am I going to manage it? Reaching out to Nova Scotia Power. I'm from Nova Scotia, so we we reach out to Nova Scotia Power and help find a solution for them. So, all kinds of different ways that you can get involved. That's amazing. And so, you're full in. <laughs> I am. You work and volunteer all in this sphere, right? Yeah, and you'll find there's a lot of over like if you're already working in it and you have a very specific set of opinions, then you'll find there's a lot of, a lot of people who overlap and tend to do both. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I feel like I, I have very strong opinions. So this is, this is the fear that I have is because I do have very strong opinions. I can be diplomatic. Like I can be, um, I, for a year and a half, I worked for a call center and I worked, I was like a supervisor in the, um, uh, for escalated calls. So for a year and a half, that was my job. I talked on the phone with people who were very escalated and I had to de-escalate them. I had to coach people on how to handle these conversations. So I, that's why like conflict doesn't bother me. Like it doesn't make me afraid. I don't love it. It takes energy. Like it takes something from you, whether you mm -hmm. feel comfortable with it or not, it still takes something from you. And so my fear was always like the amount of energy that I would have to put into being diplomatic <laughs> and tempering myself. Cause I have the perception that Amanda, you're too intense. You're too opinionated and you might not be educated enough to give your opinion. <laughs> so the amount of energy you would have to take from me, like that's, that is the thing that I feel the most fear about. Mm -hmm. you, and if, I definitely do. And I hear from a lot, a lot of women thinking, you know, there's a certain box that you have to fit within in order yeah. to meet that political perception of a woman in politics. You know, people seem to sort of imagine, you know, Hillary Clinton with the blonde bob and the white pantsuit. And that's what a woman in politics looks like. Right. And that's how she behaves with that diplomacy. But like, if there's one message I want people to take away from this, it's that you don't have to fit into a box. Mm -hmm. If you feel passionately about things, do passionate things about it, right? right? That's you and the way you represent your constituents, if that's the, the way that you choose to, to work in politics, 
then that's going to serve your constituents well. And that's going to make a huge difference in the world. And it's going to be authentic to you. Right. So do you think that's one of the reasons that holds women back? So like when I, what I want to kind of dig into is maybe your thoughts on why women are still underrepresented. Like why are we not putting our, you know, putting our ballot, you know, how, how do you do it? Nominate yourself? Like, how does that work? You, you apply, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's kind of a, a weird process to this. And I wish that there was more education on what the process is to get engaged in politics because okay, a lot of so people I'm, don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. Please, please yeah. share. So the, the first step of the process, uh, first would be identifying, you know, which, which party you feel you want to be a member of, or even if you want to run independently, there's some people that don't feel they have a close enough match with any party. And that's, that's still a way that they can represent their district. There's a lot of support you get from a political party, uh, which is why so many people choose to go that route. But uh, when, when you make that identification and, you know, you join the party or, or you speak with somebody in leadership of that party to say, you know, I want to run. I have this fire in my belly. I think I can do well for my area and make sure that the constituents in my area are represented. So when you do that, it opens, uh, it opens the door for you in a nomination process. So when there's an election coming, the parties have what we call electoral district associations, and those are volunteers in every district. So say like I live in Fairview in Halifax. So the Fairview Clayton Park district is the, the one that I'm a member of. So we're currently in the process of forming a search committee for people who might be willing to run in politics. Okay. So you have, to, you have to speak to a search committee, you have to fill out some paperwork with Elections Nova Scotia, and you have to fill out some paperwork with that political party to make sure you know, you're, you're going to represent them well. Uh, but beyond that, it's, uh, that's when we get into a nomination race. And that's, that's when the real politics starts. That's when you start uh, trying to get people to vote for you because other people might want to be candidate for such and so a party in that area. So in order to make that happen, you have to talk to the members of that party in that area and uh, get them to vote for you. So that's if there's more than one person that wants to run. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is there always like, is there ever the case where only one person wants to run? That totally happens. That happens. Yeah. Okay. And so then, then are you automatically in or do you still have to be approved? There's, there's still an approval process because if, if somebody really bad wanted to run for a party, like there's still, they still want to make sure it's somebody who represents that party's value. Absolutely. Right. So yeah. there's definitely that process too. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for explaining that. Cause I had no clue. <laughs> it's and really complicated. And, and often women are like, well, I have no idea to do it. It sounds, or I think it's too hard. So I'm automatically just going to not mm. try um, and I, I didn't look up, I want to look up the date of where, when women were first allowed to vote. I know it was in the 1900s at some point, I'm assuming. Do you it know? Is, I don't, I don't know the specific year I should. Um, I, I want to say we're just past the 100 year mark. It was just a couple of years ago that we had like a big celebration in yeah. Canada. Yeah. That we got the vote for a hundred years. So really like if you were to look at a thousand years, mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I know North America hasn't been around for a thousand years. <laughs> but like, I think we're doing pretty good for like, 
it's only been a hundred years. I still feel like we have so much more to go. Definitely. Um, women standing up. I think as society shifted where, you know, when the industrial revolution happened and women started to go into the workforce, when the wars happened, that was all part of the transition a hundred percent because, well, we weren't owned by men anymore. We weren't owned by our fathers. Mm -hmm. Um, We were separate human beings that owned ourselves and we could make our own money, which is a beautiful thing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so how the landscape of the role of women in society has changed. Um, We're not just in the homes anymore, taking care of our husbands and our children, but there's still, we are still, even though we've come far, I know a lot of the women are still the primary caregivers. They're still the ones taking care of everybody managing their households because generally Mm -hmm. it's, it's a natural skill as women. I believe that our brains are wired. We just tend to do that better. It doesn't mean that men can't do it. And it doesn't mean that men can't do it well. It's still very like, it's, we still see a lot of that. And so I know for me, who is a mother and I own my own business. Then I also think about my bandwidth, like what, how much time do I have to put into this? So then there's the energy of putting into it. And then there's the energy of managing your energy. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so how, how can we support women in our society in order to make them feel supported if they do want to take on this? Yeah, that's, it's a really important question because we have, you're right. We have so many women who are still like, they're still the homemakers. They're still, they're still uh, even single moms. How does a single mom manage in a job that demanding? And we get a lot of those questions. And we have an aging population, at least here in East Coast Canada, mm-hmm. and generally it falls to the woman to take care mm-hmm. of the aging parents on top of it, right? That's right. Um, one thing that I find really interesting, there's a nonpartisan group called Equal Voice, and they're, they're all about supporting women in politics and, and how to make that happen and encouraging women to run. And one of the things that they're lobbying for right now is to uh, shift the legislature hours. So mm. currently, if, if the legislature's sitting, it could sit all around the clock or frequently it sits like in Nova Scotia, it sits from one o'clock to nine o'clock, it, like afternoon and evening. Now for a single mother who can't get home until 10 o'clock at night with a commute, how's that going to play out? So Equal Voice is trying to, they, they have a campaign kind of starting to ensure that we have like regular business hours that we conduct government business, which just makes good sense. But it started in an old boys club where government decisions were made over a glass of scotch, right? So it's a very different world and we're just trying to shift to adjust to it. That is beautiful. That makes me so encouraged that this exists. (laughs) It's not something somebody would regularly think about. It is like it, there's the way it's structured is for men. Mm -hmm. Made by men. It can, you know, they make all the decisions. It was structured by men. Women didn't have a voice in how Mm -hmm. politics and governments were formed. Um, so it absolutely makes sense that we need to make adjustments now for the new world that we live in with women involved. And, um, I love that because it is unfair. It is, it is. is. We are always going to have that small percentage until things 
until things change. And, and I know, like, are women allowed to breastfeed? That's a, that's a good question. And I, I don't honestly know the answer to that one. It was, uh, they had to expand the women's washroom in our legislature. I know that because it was tiny. And there's, I mean, it, as far as I know, it didn't exist at first, right? There's, there's a lot of different questions where we're literally using the same building from when our legislature started right. and we haven't made those adjustments. So there's some infrastructure changes that have to happen. There's some acceptance that women are going to have different needs in the workplace. Absolutely. And really, I think that the way to make that happen is to have women there saying, I'm here and I need this service. They and won't change it for a few people. No, and living in a more patriarchal society, it's often, well, no, you want to come into our world, you have to adapt mm -hmm. to our world. We're not adapting to you. Why, why would we make an exception for you? Stand mm -hmm. up. And if you want to play in our playground, you need to adjust. Where, And honestly, like I bought into that when I was younger. Yeah. I did. I bought into it as a very early on self-identified feminist and this is what i thought a feminist was was somebody that spoke their mind that didn't dress a certain way because i wanted to be taken seriously i wanted to be known for my mind and my opinions not what my body looked like mm. i knew i was going to be sexualized by men so it was like how dare you look at my i will not let you look at my body mm -hmm. and i was you know, I wasn't going to have kids. I wasn't going to have a, you know what I mean? I was going to change. And I mean, at that time I didn't know what I wanted. I was too young, but I already had made this decision that I was going to be more like a man in order mm -hmm. to play in a man's world where now as a 40 year old woman, I'm like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it is. No, it, it isn't. It doesn't have to be a man's world anymore. The world can adapt to women in power. We don't have to change or be or look or talk a certain way in order to be taken seriously. We can be taken seriously just as we are and the world should change for us. Absolutely. And it's not just, it's not just that, you know, that, that buying into masculine power is what's going to earn you success because mm -hmm. I hear that a lot yep. and changing yourself. That's, I mean, that's, traumatizing to yourself mm -hmm. and it's also it's it's not serving your constituents if you're if you're a politician who's not being true to yourself then that that's not going to serve people because they voted for you yeah. if they want you in power then it needs to be the real you so they know what they're getting so what I loved about our latest election, there was lots that I didn't like because it was a two week election, which just calm right now. It's fucking bullshit. <laughs> anyway, it makes me angry about it. But what was beautiful is the dynamics that I got to see in my region of there was more women. I felt at least in my region, I was very, you know, I live in the St. John area and surrounding area. So I only kind of paid attention to what was around me, mm -hmm. um, but I got to see a lot of women run for our party. I, the, it, locally, there was a trans woman that ran. That's awesome. That was beautiful in my um, own area. We had a young 20 year old woman who's doing her graduate degree running mm -hmm. and it just, 
so many beautiful new ideas and a more well represented. I'm hoping it's going to look more like a more well rounded mm -hmm. represented. Um, I'm just nothing against men, <laughs> but I'm just tired of seeing men. I'm tired of seeing their face on the billboards. Mm -hmm. I want more diversity. That is the world we're living in right now um, with all types of people. And I just, I want to see more variety. And how can you be expected to vote for a party if you don't see yourself represented in it, right? That's so important. And a lot of, a lot of what we're seeing right now, you know, we'll have, I mean, in New Brunswick, there's 30% women in the legislature right now. It's above the national average, which is fantastic. But I'm not going to lie to you. I saw that statistic come out and I was like, dear God, we could have gotten 50. Why don't we have 50? We have 50% of the population. Why don't we have 50% in the legislature? Yeah. Like that's my biggest hope. And I almost like, I actually I wrote this down and then I scratched it out. Obviously, I think it's good to have balance. But mm -hmm. part of me is like, I want us to dominate. <laughs> I, there's that rebel inside of me that it's like, what would the world look like if women dominated the government? Yeah. Rather, like, what, what would change? Where, what would we let go of? What new things would we bring in? What, where would our focus be? I, I'm kind of like, and maybe I'm wrong, I feel like we would care more about the environment. <laughs> I think we would, I mean, that's, this is me overgeneralizing and maybe a little bit prejudiced, but I think we would care more about the environment. I think we would care um, a little bit less about corporations. <laughs> <laughs> I think we would care more about um, women's health, health in general. I think we would care about our aging population. Like the, the things that women generally care about, I'm not saying men don't care about those things. Mm. But traditionally, from what I've seen, they don't. Um, they don't generally talk about it. They tend mm. to, that's where they want to take money away from. And I recognize we need money in, in order to support these things. Like I, I logically, I, I understand <laughs> there needs to be a balance, but I'm really curious, like what our world would look like if more, if we had more women in power versus the men. I don't know. Like, so you, you have any thoughts um, about that? I, I do. Um, a really interesting statistic. You talked about how Canada was 50th ranked in democracy. Mm -hmm. If you look at the ones higher up, guess who has more women in government? So we're actually like, in terms of democratic statistics, a lot of the countries that are really high up on that list have 50% or more women in government. Um, so that's, that shows that we can do a good job governing as well. That's mm -hmm. evidence. Right. But more than that, I mean, there, there are issues that, that need to be brought to a man's attention. Mm -hmm. And that means that, that maybe we're not looking at, maybe we're not having the quality candidates that we need to, because we're not looking where we should be, or maybe maybe we need to build more women into campaign teams that way there's more people for the men to listen to as well it's not right. just it's not they, just women in the legislature it's everywhere right. that way our opinion can be shared everywhere and in your experience how are one of my fears is how i will be treated by men mm -hmm. um once say i was to to get nominated in uh, how are how do you 
see women being treated right now? I'll level with you. It's, it's not as good as it should be. It's not. Our society is trained to believe that women don't deserve as much kindness somehow, that women, I mean, we've grown up in this patriarchal society where women are inferior and we're still treated that way. And in politics where there's so many power dynamics, we see that amplified. So I think getting more women in power is a great way to combat that. Absolutely. Um, I also think we need to give these women who fight for that opportunity, we need to give them the tools to succeed when they do it. So to me, that means training people in how to disarm a tense situation in hate speech on the doorstep. If somebody's door knocking and or call a horrifying name because they're a woman, how do they handle that situation in a healthy way and still go on campaigning? Right? How do we and give them there, the tools there, to succeed? And is there any? Is there there, any? there are. So there's some training that I've that I have seen done, and I'm in the works of of encouraging that to happen in my own networks. Um, but beyond that, I also see a lot a lot of training saying, you know, this is how you avoid that situation, and I want to see more of here's how you deal with it when it happens because it's going to. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I've learned and I know not to read comments. <laughs> yes, I, important. Everybody, everybody knows not to read them, but sometimes just shit. You just see it. You just mm -hmm. see it. Mm -hmm. And at least with social media, you can be like, I'm not like, I can dismiss it. I can hide it. I cannot go on social media um, to, to just see all of the hate and negativity mm. and attacking. Um, and I also know that like people are more apt to do it on social media versus mm -hmm. face to face. However, I know there's some people out there that have no problem yeah. verbally yeah. attacking you, threatening you. Um, and the, the level that that would have to take on your mental health where I, so I have no mental health challenges, mm -hmm. but I feel my perception is that it, my mental health will be challenged. Um, if I was to put myself in a more vulnerable place to be attacked, um, is there any support for people in politics for that? So there, there is, and I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned social media specifically because that is the place where it's the worst. Mm -hmm. And I'll acknowledge, like, I, I currently work at a male politician's office right now, but he gets, he gets stuff like that too. Mm -hmm. It's so much worse for women. Um, but the issue exists across the board. I mean, we have people spraying negativity all over the place on social media. And a lot of the time, uh, asking a pointed question is a great way to disarm somebody. They won't come back at you. Um, other times, ignoring it, blocking it, really good social media training is a way that, uh, that we deal with it. Um, knowing that it's okay not to have everybody agree with you. It's okay not to have everybody like you. And having, having that support, I think, is a big part of it, especially for women trying to get into this business where it's brand new to them. They don't see these things coming and all of a sudden you're being called awful things online. Having somebody that they can go to who's been through it, who knows the processing mechanisms is really important. Almost like a mentorship. Absolutely. And it's just, it is, it's scary knowing that you're, 
possibly going to be attacked by the public and mm-hmm. possibly attacked by the other people in politics. Like, yeah, I do believe not everybody is cut out for it. I think, I think it takes a certain type of person to be super, super passionate about what you believe in and being able to take that on because I feel like I'm a fairly strong person, but it still scares the shit out of me. And it should. That's, it can get really nasty sometimes. Um, I think people also have this perception that politics, like when you have two conflicting parties, it's nothing but yelling at each other all the time. And I'm here to tell you it's not always like that, right? right. It's, but that's, that's what definitely there. Yeah, right? Yes. And they do that on purpose, right? right? Yes. So if they want to show that, you know, that one party doesn't agree with the other party, then they're going to show it and they're going to do it in a way that catches people's attention. That's a, that's a part of politics and how we communicate. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the more toxic parts of politics and it's something that's, I, I think it's slowly changing as people don't have a tolerance for it anymore. Um, but I've also seen, I've seen, I mean, you have cabinet ministers and you have in the opposite party, you have like a shadow critic, like one person who's responsible for basically providing constructive criticism on everything the cabinet minister does. And I've seen them kick back and have a beer and laugh about it afterwards because they know it's a part of the game and they know they need to rebuild that relationship so everybody can, can have can a women quality do that? government. Can women do that? <laughs> we can kick back with wine, right? Why not? Just generally though, like, this is me thinking back to my childhood mm-hmm. and how boys, when they would get in a fight, they'd get, it would usually be physical. Mm-hmm. They would, I have see it time and time again, and it would blow my mind. It's like, well, they would have like a little fist fight or <laughs> tackle, and then they would literally be buddies the next day. My perception of women was very different. We attacked, mm-hmm. we would just like cut them at the knees, and we mm-hmm. would emotionally attack women or girls, and we would hold on to that grudge for years. But that's how I like, and I don't know what it is, like why that happened. I don't know if it's the hormones that make us do it, the way we're wired. So I'm really curious of like how, like, can I I think, well, women can do anything. Like, I I think there would have to be training around that, like teaching around that. Yeah. And I mean, first, don't put yourself in, into a box in what you, what you can and can't do, right? right. Yeah. There's always a possibility that you can build that relationship, maintain it. And there are strategies that you can use to make sure that the relationship isn't too damaged. Right. And that's definitely something like, like myself, I, I would work with a politician, you know, here's a suggestion. Since you know this is going to the floor today, you know it's going to spark some some. You know, some people are going to get their backs up because of this. Mm -hmm. Why don't you go talk to the minister beforehand, let them know, or make a point to go talk to them afterwards to thank them for going back and forth and promise to follow up with a letter, right? There's so many opportunities to massage those relationships to make sure that there is still good government and still people talking to each other because that's the most important thing. So one of the things when you and I were talking over Instagram, you had said that there's a huge team to support you. Absolutely. So what does that look like? Because 
I, I don't understand. I don't see that. <laughs> I don't understand it. So how does that happen? So in, uh, I'll, I'll just kind of describe uh, my my side of things. Mm -hmm. um, this is sort of my specialty is campaign management. Mm -hmm. um, so on my team, at least, my goal would be that the candidate, the person who's actually going to get elected, does nothing but talk to constituents. That's their most important job. It's how they're going to represent people. So they need to get out on the doorstep and find out what people care about and how to represent them better. That's the way to win an election. Okay. Beyond that, I mean, there's my role as the campaign manager would be to decide what prioritize what community the candidate is going to go out to that day what messaging is important in that community and how can we make that happen so I take care of a little bit of that okay um, I also would manage the rest of the staff on the campaign and these are these are all volunteers right and they show up because they're a part of your network and they care about you and they want to make you successful so you would recruit these people yourself I would, yeah. And the candidate beforehand would reach out to some people and say, you know, I'm running in politics. This is what I'm passionate about. Will you please support me? And the vast majority of people say yes, because they're so, this is what politics is supposed to be about, right? It's supposed to be about inspiring people to do better and driving our province forward. Like that's the important thing. So those people will come out and they'll do any number of things. They'll door knock for that candidate and talk to people they'll enter the data into the computer they'll give people a drive to go vote right there's so many different people and so many moving parts so one thing i want to ask about i saw it come up um that like i recognize you and you mentioned earlier that um people can run independent if they want but they mm -hmm. generally get more support from a party how does that, how does money work? Cause it was something that came up like mm -hmm. the NDP or the green party doesn't have as much money versus the liberals and the conservatives. Um, so how is it fair to run and represent a different party when you don't have as much money to work with? So you don't, you mm -hmm. can't get the bigger signs. Maybe, you know, you don't have as much money. I mean, obviously like, people are freaking resilient, resilient. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause like I, I have a friend who ran for the green party and I loved like, sh like they didn't have money. Right. Like mm -hmm. I get, I'm assuming I'm maybe they have some, <laughs> I'm assuming they didn't have a lot, but I loved their grit and the resiliency of trying to find new ways to get the word out there. Yep. Um, and social media helps with that for sure. But how, like, is it unfair? Are we working in an unfair system where some parties have more money than others? And will think, can we ever get away from, because it seems I, like I know we have um, leaders in other parties, but it is generally dominated by conservatives or liberals. So are we working in an unfair system? Is there like, is there a way, like, I would love to see reform around that. Is that even possible? Is that a pipe dream? So, so what kind of happens in that process, just to give you an idea, would be um, most of that money doesn't come from the government, doesn't come from anything. So the only money that actually comes from the government for running an election would be what we call a voter rebate. So it's based on, you know, you got X number of votes in the last election. So you get X amount of dollars to represent that. So it's kind of proportional based on how people 
show their opinions by voting. So they try to keep it fair that way. Beyond that, it's all about personal connections. There's, there's a legal limit on how much one person can donate to a campaign. So that uh, prevents what, what they don't have this rule in the States, let me mention. Um, so that's what happens a lot in the States. You hear about super PACs and things like that and buying an election. You hear a yeah. lot about that there. We can't do that legally here. Like there's a $5,000 limit. Yeah. For so every individual. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Very grateful for that. And, uh, in order, in order to like solicit those funds, it's about making a phone call. It's the same thing as, will you come volunteer on my campaign? Will you give me a few dollars to buy lawn signs? Will you give me a few dollars to buy pamphlets to hang on people's doors, right? And that's, it's about personal relationships and it's about how much support you already have. And that's what's going to be reflected in how much money you get. Okay. So say so you get elected, are they paid? They are. Um, it's not as much as you think. It's really like the pay is not great. Right. And is, um, it, is it a full-time job? It is. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's almost more than that. Uh, like if I'll level so with how you. How is that appealing to anybody? <laughs> I love change, but I like to put food on the table. Yeah. So there's, there's enough to put food on the table. Like the average MLA in Nova Scotia earns 85,000, somewhere around that number, right? So it's, it's respectable. Oh, okay. It's enough okay. to put so food on the table. I was thinking like 30 or 40. <laughs> Okay. A lot of people say that people get into politics for the money. And to me, that's not enough money to get into politics for. It's not. <laughs> no, not with the amount of time <laughs> and energy and bullying, I'm sure, that you have to deal with. It is such a long day. And, you know, you get to decide how much of yourself you put into it. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the nice part of it. Um, you run your office based on your schedule and it can be flexible that way. But the most important thing for you to represent people is to be face-to-face with your constituents and to do, do your best for them. And that, that takes time. That means going and chatting with somebody at, at 6.30 p.m. because they have to put their kids to bed and they've just worked a full work day. So making that time in your schedule. Or it means taking four calls in a row because school's going back this week and nobody knows what COVID protocols are going to look like. Um, so it can get really busy sometimes and other times like summertime is great because it's events and you chat with people and there's barbecues and, and it's, so you it, have, it, you have to be ebbs and flows. You have to be a people person. <sighs> yes and no. Like, like it's important to be able to connect with people, to talk mm-hmm. to people because that's the only way you're going to know what they care about and how to represent them. Um, but it's not like it's not shaking hands and kissing babies all the time either. It's just, it's a lot of listening more so than actually having to talk and get people to like you. It's just a lot of listening and being sincere in representing what they asked you to represent them for. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about you get elected. Mm -hmm. What happens? What what does your day look like? (laughs) What are your responsibilities? Cause again, that's like, I don't even have a firm concept of what that actually looks like? Okay, Um, so that's a great question because how do you make a decision to run and decide whether or not it works for your family? Yeah, Yeah. you need to know exactly what that looks like. So um, 
it kind of, it depends on a lot of factors. Like if you're, if you're, if you have a critic portfolio or if you're a cabinet minister somehow, like there's so many different possibilities. Obviously a cabinet minister would be much, much busier than your average MLA. Um, but with that comes with meetings with your, with your comms team. So in terms of communication, you know, this is what we've all agreed is going to be our position on this issue. Here are your talking points. Go, go talk to a reporter. That happens sometimes. It doesn't happen as much as people think. Most of your day is going to coffee meetings with constituents, hosting people at your office to talk about a specific issue, going on tours of local facilities. That way you know what the local businesses are doing or what resources are needed in the local hospital. Like it's, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of listening. Uh, but you get to decide how busy your day is. Just keep in mind how busy your day is will be directly reflected in how well you perform in the next election. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you said there's a comms team. Do you, are you responsible for hiring that? Yeah. No. Um, so in, like, I can't guarantee it works the same in every province, right. but our structure, our structure here in Nova Scotia would be um, the party has okay. a central office and they have a comms team that they work with. Um, and obviously you want to represent what your party stands for, because again, that's what people voted for. That's what they know they're going to get. So that's what you need to give them. Okay. Um, so with that, you have your comms team. There's also a research team that makes sure we're forming the correct policies and we're listening to the right people and things like that. And, uh, then there's people like me who help your actual constituents handle the scheduling, get people in contact with government departments, connect people with charities, right? So you're not in it all alone. And if you position yourself well, you'll have a team that complements your strengths and can pick up some of the slack where you struggle. Right. So if you, if part of like what you're running on is I believe in um, like better, more affordable housing. Mm -hmm. So once, if you get elected, that's probably a good place to start, right? Totally. Researching it, talking to people, seeing. And so you take all this information and then you go to the legislature and what, you fight for it? Yeah. Um, so I love that you used affordable housing as an example because this is exactly something that, that we did in my area. That's the number one issue in, I work in Dartmouth. So that's a huge issue for us. And right. So like where I live, that's not a huge issue hmm. in St. John. Yeah. Huge. It is. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so say we, we talk to people about affordable housing. We have people in the office that we help get some housing. We help connect them with Nova Scotia power. We help get them food resources. That way more of their money can go to word rent things like that. So we handle, we handle that level on our office. I had um, no, and so I had no idea. So when you said mm -hmm. that if somebody came to an MLA and said, I can't pay my bill, help me that they can receive help. Yeah. Like we can't, obviously we can't pay the bill give them for you, money. Right. but we can, we can help you make an arrangement. If you don't know how to do it, we can help you find food resources, like whatever reason is causing you to not be able to pay it, we can help you handle that. Like there's so many different resources. So we do a lot of that. We'll also talk to different organizations. Like one thing that our office does is we, we meet 
quarterly with different housing providers in Dartmouth because it's such a big issue. So we talk to the people who are offering that and try to make connections on how we can improve the system and make more available for people because it's not just government programs, right? There's lots of private industries that would do affordable housing as well. So after we, we've consulted to all these people, then we go to the legislature and there's, there's a few different venues that, that you can represent your constituents. So you can, you can draft a bill, which means you're creating a law and you're trying to get everybody in the house to vote for that law and make it the law. Uh, so when you, when you do that, um, it generally takes a lot of talking people into things because <laughs> um, you need the majority to vote in favor of it in order for that bill to become a law. In, in um, the whole legislature. So how does it work within your party? Like, does the party have to okay? So say you, you do draft this mm -hmm. bill, your party has to, I'm assuming, okay it first? Yeah, so, so generally how that would work would, would be like that MLA, we have members of the Legislative Assembly in Nova Scotia, would come up with a concept and say, okay, um, I'll give you an example is, um, you know, we're going to change this procedure with this water company so we can hook up water to affordable housing places. We need to be able to make that happen. It's a simple fix. Let's just draft a bill so we can make that happen. And once all the MLAs in that party agree amongst themselves, we call it a caucus meeting. They agree okay. amongst themselves. And once it passes that point, it's actually people who work in the legislature, nonpartisan people actually draft the bill. Okay. So that's something a lot of people don't know. Like, like you don't have to be an expert in law. That's what I was saying. Do, do, yeah, do you have lawyers on staff? Like, <laughs> yeah. So the legislature does. So okay. And that that kind of takes some of the partisanship out of it, which okay. I think is a really yeah. good part of the system. Yeah. And uh, so once this bill is drafted and everybody everybody on your team's in favor of it, and you know that, then you go to the legislature, you present the bill, you argue in favor of it and eventually it's, it's voted in or out. Okay. So that's, that's a really good way to represent your constituents. That's uh, something people don't always pay attention to what bills are or aren't passing, right? Um, but it's, it's a good way to gauge how well your member is actually representing you. There's also a question period which is where the drama in politics lives. Uh, that's where you see people shouting at each other across the floor. And that's where it's very, it's very fun to watch. In Can my, you if swear? You're like me. You um, swear? So there's, there's a specific set of rules in the legislature. No. Um, and basically you just get uh, stern talking to is usually what happens, but or, or yeah, you'll just be asked to me. apologize. <laughs> oh my God, that is, that would be so hard for me. <laughs> but it's one chamber versus it's allowed in all other aspects of your life if it's natural for you. But that's the one, the one spot. And there's no, a time and, limit on how long you can talk. No, and, and I completely <laughs> understand. Like I try and teach my children that, you know, swear words, they're just words. It's just... Mm -hmm. It's just language. It's it's how you use them that is more important. And generally, when you're fighting and you're using swear words when you're fighting, it's never in a good way. <laughs> so I get I get that. 
there's, there is a specific set of rules and every MLA is supplied with it. And a few of the rules are really stupid and, my, and using the word stupid is not allowed. So I would have just been called out of order. Okay. <laughs> they, so when they do that, they, they present it and they do their arguments, but they're really good at getting around it. That's kind of the fun part as you're watching and you're like, he just called him stupid with like totally different words and that was allowed. So that's, <laughs> you can get around it. There's a way to do it. Yeah. Um, but asking those questions to ministers and saying, you know, minister, why haven't you done this thing for my constituents? We've been asking for it forever and we need it. Why hasn't it been done? And being able to stand up and say that and show people that you've been asking for it is important. It also kind of puts the minister on the spot and says, hmm, why haven't I been doing this, right? Oh, see, this, this, this excites me. <laughs> you it just, should. you just like tapped into a part of my body that was like, Ooh, I was made for this. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely <Sorry>. the most fun. <laughs> okay, so, okay, I was going to ask you a question. Um, oh, okay, let's talk about... I know we've hit on like some of the fears, some of the challenges we put in, you know, obviously the positives is listening to what people want and representing them. But what mm -hmm. are like some cool, really happy, positive things that you see happening in politics that might want to sway somebody to be like, okay, guys, yes, it is challenging and it's hard, but there's so much beauty to it as well. Do you have mm -hmm. any of those stories to share? There are, there's so many possibilities. Like there are things that inspire me in this job and I'm not even the one out in front of constituents. I'm just the one keeping an eye on things. And I see every day how, how different things we do in government can help people. So one example, I'll give you like a really controversial example. Awesome. Um, in Nova Scotia, we just, we passed a bill this past year that uh, is mandatory uh, organ donation. You can opt out of it, mm -hmm. but the assumption automatically is that everybody's mm -hmm. an organ donor. And that's going that. to save a lot of lives and yeah. every single person in our legislature voted in favor of it. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but that, that is going to piss some really people powerful. off. Yeah. And you know what? That's, that's when they call me <laughs> and that's <laughs> when I give them some instructions on how to opt out of it and how to, mm -hmm. how to register that they weren't pleased with it. And even, even if this is something that, that my boss didn't, did vote in favor of, but that's still a conversation that he can have and still make that person feel heard. Right. Because if that person's not the majority of the district, they're still a part of the district. And that's important yeah. too. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing um, I also want to touch on is this election in particular, I saw a huge increase in social media being used mm -hmm. for campaigns. Mm -hmm. That seems like it's a whole other beast because <laughs> like it is. back in the old days, you would say it, nobody would record it. Can they prove it? <laughs> It's mm -hmm. something you said 20 years ago. Is it going to bite you now? Like it, there, it, there's a whole other beast with that. You can reach more people that way. I actually saw sponsored ads on Facebook. This is the first time I've ever seen sponsored ads on Facebook from mm. people running. And I, that kind of surprised me, um, which also opens you up to more discourse. <laughs> virtually. Like it, it seems like there's a whole other beast to that. Is there like a governing body about like, is there rules around it? Like, how is that shifting? So 
Facebook in the next few weeks is going to be shutting down all political advertising because the U.S. presidential campaign will be kicking off. So six weeks prior to that campaign, they're cutting off all access to advertising, um, but just for politicians. So they're being really careful in that aspect. Um, one thing that one thing I would use caution in is being mindful of what your own social media presence is. It needs to be authentic. It needs to be true to you. It needs to be respectful is a really important thing for me. Um, so one thing when, when I was running a campaign back in 2017, uh, I asked for all the passwords to all of this person's social media accounts and I went through and vetted all of it. So I went through and made sure that this person didn't say anything misogynistic, that they're respectful for indigenous rights, that they don't have any racist streaks that we don't know about, because those are really important things that get dug up later. And more importantly, we don't want that kind of person in government. So we have, we have those precautions. Um, we also see like one, one thing that I really see growing for a complication for women coming into politics is that women might post something on, on the internet and it might be considered scandalous when it shouldn't be. Right. So God forbid a woman post a photo of herself in a bikini at the beach because that's going to be her campaign photo when it comes on a tabloid. Right. And that's horrible, but we see it happening. And I think for the most part, if it's something... If it's something like that, then the party is going to be like, stop digging into her privacy. This is yeah. stupid. We're not going to kick her out as a candidate. She's awesome. Just let her be. Um, if somebody turned out to say something racist and that was dug up by the media, then that person would be out. Right? So it's about personal principles and whether or not they're going to represent the party well. Yeah. So I saw something after the election, um, somebody who was running she was a younger woman. I, I really don't know the details, so I don't like want to get super into it because I don't want to like say anything wrong because I didn't dig into, but she had verbally attacked um, another MLA mm. and a, like a federal one. Um, okay. There's a federal, they're federal yeah, MLA. Member yeah. of parliament. Right. Yeah. yeah. MP. Yes. An MP. Sorry. An MP. Whew. Um, and called him like really not good names. And he called her out on it. It's like, this is not okay. Now she's young. And so I brought it up to my husband. I'm like, I'm really curious. And I, and I want young people. I want young views. I want what's important to them to be represented. Mm -hmm. They have new ideas that and we need to shift as a society. But they're also growing up in a world with social media being a very much part of their social skills and social mm -hmm. communication. And I think it is how they communicate and talk to people is, is very different than in an older generation where if you didn't say it to the, like you had to say it to their face. Right. <laughs> that yeah. Generally, you know, stops people mm -hmm. for social media. We don't have that stop. So I'm really curious, like, are the next generation coming up in politics, are they going to be missing an important part of social skills when it comes to having a healthy debate versus going to like just straight verbal attacking? Like is, I'm just curious, like how that's going to affect hmm. politics and is there things in place to teach about that? Like how do, how do we even cover that? Like it's going yeah. to happen. 
right? Like, do you see it? Am I, am I crazy? I, I do. Um, my hope is that that's not the case. And I mean, I'm still, I'm on the relatively young side of the scale, okay. right? Like I'm 25 right. and running, running through all of this with uh, people my own age and I see what they're posting and I'm like, oh, you're going to delete that in a year. You're going to see that <laughs> when it pops up on Facebook memories and you're going to regret it, right? So I definitely see that side of things. At the same time, um, face-to-face interactions, not just negative ones, but all together can be really hard for our generation because yeah. we're used to hiding behind a screen. Yes. Yeah. So learning to pick up a phone because that's a huge part of being a politician, right? right? That's, I feel like that's more the hump that our generation okay. has to get over because you can't be afraid of other human interaction if you want to represent other humans. There, there has to be that respect there. There has to be that, willing, that willingness to get on somebody else's level. And that's really important. So if somebody especially if somebody's being disrespectful online, then, well, you know what? They're going to learn very publicly to become humble. That's right. how that, that goes. That the head of the party <laughs> made a statement apologizing, saying, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't represent our views. They will be dealt with. And, and right. So there is the, the trial and error way. There's always a way to learn to be humble. But that, it just, it made me a little bit sad. You reminding me that the next generation are afraid of face-to-face interactions Mm -hmm. and it makes me a little bit sad. Practice and the tools to learn how to do it because you can say, you know, here's some, here's some tips to be able to have a good conversation. Here are some icebreakers that you can use if you don't know how to start a conversation. Like training like that can be a part of campaign training and there's an easy way to make that happen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's been an hour. We're going to end this, even though I honestly could probably (laughs) talk about this for hours. So how I want to end it is if you were to talk to a woman who said, Brie, like, I'm kind of interested, sell me, not sell me on this, but like, what would you say to a woman who might have some inkling of an interest into starting politics? Like, what would be your advice? What would you say to her? So my first question when somebody says they want to run in politics is always, what issue is most important to you? What issue are you willing to go to bat on? Willing to, what hill are you going to die on to make this happen? Okay. It's an uphill battle, particularly for women who want to join because there's so many complicating factors. Um, so first, I want to see the motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second, I want to see that they have ties to their community that are going to make them a good representative. I want to see that they care about people around them and that they're going to behave well in government, that they're going to actually try hard at their job and not just sit there for four years until the next election, right? right? So that's, that's really important. So my message, my message to women out there who have an interest in running is don't let all the reasons in your head stop yourself from going for it because there are so many things that you can bring to the table and so many things that our government system is lacking that it needs and you deserve the opportunity to do it but more than that your constituents deserve the opportunity to have you in there yeah so push for it and ask for help if you need it there's so many people who are willing to help who can guide you through this process 
and you just have to reach out. Okay. Thank you for that. I was curious if you were going to sway me <laughs> at the end of this conversation. Um, I don't know if I'm there, but I feel like I'm moving closer to more of a yes than a no where I was, if, if I was to ever, you know, entertain the idea, I think I would always fall back on the no, that would always be mm. the stronger one, but you have educated me and you've actually excited me about it. So thank you for that. I hope anybody listening, um, maybe it'll move them to change or even just better understand. Um, or if you don't want to run, maybe volunteer. If there's somebody else that you believe in, help them. Like Mm -hmm. That is also another very important way that we can make change. It's not always. That's what I do. Yeah. yeah. And, and I actually, it didn't even hit me till after this, our latest election, because I actually knew a few people, which <laughs> yeah. hurts me because everybody else, it was like a man who was like 40 years older than me is like, I don't want to support you. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know you. But now that I'm actually like, I'm aging, so I'm like almost twice your age, I, I am actually seeing and I'm knowing some of these people and I, they're good people. And I'm like, Amanda, you should have volunteered and helped them. So that actually might be my first step is the next time volunteering, supporting them so that they, if I'm not willing to, to run, support somebody um, to help them run. So thank That's you That's a great way to learn the ropes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for being a young woman in politics. And <laughs> like, we, we need you and thank you. And thank you for reaching out to me so that we could have this conversation. And um, yeah, just thank you. Thank you. I wanna thank you for listening to the Women Disrupted podcast. Make sure you check out the show notes for any additional information or links about today's episode or guest. If you enjoyed today's episode, then hit the subscribe button and make sure you get all the latest episodes. Also, if you feel that anyone could benefit from this episode, then please share it or give it a review. The Women Disrupted podcast is sponsored by Simply Stylish Inc. and produced by James Higgins Productions. Stay disrupted, ladies.